Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. How many of you were here when Nathan Cedarland was here? And he, uh, I don't know if you noticed that, well, if you were here, of course you noticed, but he shared an update, a missionary update of the work in Puerto Escondido. And uh, I really liked that video. And there's a, a very, I mean, I liked the whole thing, but there's a specific reason why I liked it. And, and I'll share that with you in a second. But I wanted to, uh, to tell you a little bit more about this uh, conference that we went to in, uh, in June. Elena and I, I don't know if you remember, this was a while ago, like a month ago, more than a month ago. Elena and I went to a conference in uh, Colorado, and it was a conference with a network of churches called uh, Crossway Network. And this is the same network that Nathan and Kulisa are partnering with, and, and we are partnering with them in the sense that we send, we commissioned Nathan and Kulisa to go to, uh, to Puerto Escondido. And so as we were in this conference, there were several missionary updates uh, that were shared. One of them was the one that Nathan and Kulisa shared about Puerto Escondido. There were some other missionaries. There was, uh, there was a missionary in the Czech Republic. There was a missionary from Estonia. Uh, I think there were some missionaries from Nepal represented in, in the conference. So there were a lot of these you know, different missionaries, and all of them gave updates about their church, about their work, about their mission. And this is the thing that really struck me. This is the thing that I really, really liked about it. And it's the thing I liked about Nathan's update as well. Uh, what I liked about their updates is the confidence that they had on God's ability to reach the whole city that they were ministering to. I don't know if you remember, but in Nathan's update, uh, when he is you know, talking about his prayer and his vision, basically he says, our vision is to see all of Puerto Escondido reached out for the Lord. And it was the same thing for the missionaries in Nepal. Our, our vision is to see all of, I don't know the name of the city, but all of this city reached out for God. The guy from, from Republic, same thing. The guy from Estonia, same thing. Our vision is to see God proclaimed the Lord Jesus proclaimed in all of this city. And so the thing that was so amazing to me is to see how these people had so much faith in the power of God, had so much confidence that God would actually fulfill this mission. It just, just the simple fact that that was their mission, right? Because I think there were other churches there, and I think the churches here on the U.S., their, their vision was a little bit more uh, conservative. It was like, you know, we want, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly, but I just feel like it, I got the feel that overall the churches in the U.S., they were a lot more conservative. But the missionary churches, they were, they were like, our mission, our vision is to see God and the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in all of this city. And so I believe that all of these missionaries, all of these people, along with Paul, who is the author of the letter to the Ephesians, I think that they really understood the power of God. They really understand the reach and, and God's ability 
to uh, do far more abundantly than we ask or think. And so this is the passage that we have today before us. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we're reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. And let's pray. God, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor for you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of worship. Only you are glorious. You are powerful. God, we ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, that you give us a spirit of knowledge and of revelation to understand the hope of our calling, to understand the riches of your inheritance, to understand your power that is at work in us, your power that was at work when you raised Jesus from the dead, when you seated him at your right hand, when you appointed him as head over all things to the church. God, we pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit so that Jesus would dwell in us through faith, so that we would understand, we would know, we would experience the love of Christ that is beyond understanding, so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. God, we pray that you would speak to us by your Spirit, that you would reveal your truth to us by your Spirit, that you would encourage us by your Spirit, We pray, we ask that as a church, we can bring glory to your name. That as a church, we can be dependent on the Lord Jesus, who is our head. God, please speak to us by your spirit. Please lead me by your spirit in the words that I'm about to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the second prayer that Paul is making in this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, the, the, the first prayer we saw a while back, and in this prayer, Paul is asking God that he would give the Ephesians uh, the spirit of knowledge and of revelation so that they could understand three things. He wants God to give the Ephesians understanding of the hope of their calling. He, want, he asks God to give understanding to the Ephesians about uh, the riches of their inheritance, of the riches of God's inheritance in the saints. And then he also asks God that he would reveal to them the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. He wants the Ephesians to understand the power of God. And so in, in, a, in a classic Pauline, in a classic Paul move, he, and, and I put this in quotes, he kind of gets distracted, although we know that, you know, he didn't get distracted. He, he, want, he was very intentional about writing this, but it seems like, you know, he's talking about the power of God, 
And then he goes onto a tangent and starts talking about this power. It's almost like he says, by the way, this power, this is the power that was at work in Jesus when God raised him from the dead. This is the power that was at work in Jesus when he seated him at the right hand of God and when he put him as head over all things to the church. So he wants the Ephesians to know that. Now, in his second prayer, so he, he, this is kind of the pattern of Ephesians. He gives a little bit of, of, uh, of teaching, of doctrine, and then he prays for the Ephesians. And he gives a little bit more of doctrine, and then he prays for the Ephesians again. And then in the rest of the book, he is going to focus on the practical, uh, um, on the practical living out of these realities that he has just taught the Ephesians. And so in the second prayer, which uh, Sam explained last week, in this second prayer, Paul now asks that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power through the Spirit. And he, asked, or, or he asks this so that Christ may dwell in them through faith, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding, and ultimately that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Now, one thing that strikes me about Paul's prayers is how hefty they are. How big Paul's prayers are, right? Most of the times, if we're honest, the things that we pray for is we pray that for God to bless our food, right? We pray for uh, traveling mercies. We pray for a hedge of protection. And of course, I'm using, you know, Christianese uh, on purpose here. But what I'm trying to communicate is that Sometimes, not, not that it's bad to pray for God to bless our meal or for God to protect us while we travel or for God to protect us from our enemies or whatever. I'm not saying that those things are bad. What I'm trying to say here, though, is that sometimes those are the only things that we focus on. Sometimes those are the only things that we pray about. And when we compare those to Paul's prayers, I think those prayers seem small all of a sudden. And so my hope for today is that along with Paul, we can have bigger prayers. Is that along with Paul, as we understand the power of God, that we can pray with boldness, with confidence, knowing that God can do far more than we can ask or think. When Paul is, is uh Coming to this section here, this is actually part of the prayer, part of this second prayer, verses 20 and 21. They're part of the prayer, and this is what we would call a doxology. Now, what is a doxology? A doxology is a word uh, or a declaration of praise to God. A doxology is literally a word of glory. We are giving glory to God. For example, the song, the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That is a doxology, right? Because we are singing to God. We are praising Him. We are giving Him glory. But notice one thing about this doxology. This is not just a random word of praise that Paul was just thinking, okay, how do I finish this prayer? How do I fill up this last chapter before I, you know, move on to the next scroll? No, this is very, very intentional, right? I feel like sometimes churches are like, okay, how should we end our service? The, the ending is a little bit awkward. Oh, I know. Let's throw in a doxology and, you know, it's going to be a lot better. But no, Paul is very intentional about this, this doxology. And in this doxology, he is, yes, he is giving praise to God first and foremost. He is glorifying God first and foremost. But in this doxology, 
he is also hoping to give confidence to the Ephesians that God is going to respond to the hasty prayer that he just made for them. I mean, think about it. The prayer that Paul just made for the Ephesians is incredibly hefty. He is praying that God would strengthen them through his spirit. He is praying that Christ would fill them. He is praying that they would understand or, or know or experience the love of Christ, which is beyond understanding. I mean, think about that. That's almost paradoxical, right? He's asking God to, uh, to let the, the Ephesians know and experience something that is beyond comprehension. And then I, I would say probably the biggest of all, he is praying that God would fill the Ephesians with all the fullness of God. And so when he comes to this doxology, I think that he is trying to instill confidence in the Ephesians and tell them, God is able, God is powerful to respond to this prayer that I just made for you. God is able, God is powerful to respond to the other prayer that I made for you. God is powerful to do far more than we ask or think. And so let's, uh, let's dig into this passage. And again, my goal for today is that to get, together with Paul, we as a church, we would glorify God. But in the process, I want us to learn about God's power and I want us to have to grow in our confidence about God's ability to answer our prayers and that we would come to him with boldness when we pray. So Paul begins this doxology and before he can get two or three words uh, farther, he interrupts himself, right? He says, now to him. And if you, if you, if you pay attention to the, to the pattern, the actual sentence should be verse 21. Now, to him be glory, right? But before he can even finish that, that initial sentence, he already interrupts himself. And he says, now to him who is able. And he in introduces a big, uh, a big parenthesis here. And in this parenthesis, he is talking about God's power. We can trust that God will answer our prayers. We can trust that God will do the things that Paul is praying for the Ephesians and for us because God is powerful. And Paul can say with all confidence that God is powerful. Oh, and, and by the way, sorry, I, I failed to point something out. It says, now to him who is able. And now depending on your, on your Bible translation, uh, you might have the words him who is able. I think if I were in the translation committee for the for the ESV Bible, which is the Bible that I'm using. Of course, I'll never make it into a translation committee. But just imagine for a second, if I were, if I were in, the, in the ESV translation committee, and, and to go even crazier in this hypothetical situation, if they were to ask me, hey, Ben, what do you think? Should we translate this as him who is able? I would say, actually, why don't we translate it using the root of the word and translate it as now to him who is powerful? Now, why would I do that? Well, because if you read the, the, the next sentence or, or if you finish the sentence, it's now to him who is powerful to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. I think that Paul was doing a little bit of a wordplay there and saying now to him who is powerful to do this and this according to his power. And so Paul really wants to highlight here God's power. God's ability to do whatever he pleases. Now, um, this is a movie that I watched a very long time ago. 
It's called Son of God. I don't know if you have uh, if you have seen it. I think it's made by the same guys who had a series on the Bible. I think it was on on like the History Channel or or one of those. I I can't remember. This was a while back, but I do remember thinking that that initial scene was very was very powerful. It was very cool because it, the movie is based on the Book of John, on the Gospel of John. And you know, right? You know the beginning of John. And the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then he talks about how the Word became flesh. And he brings you to these scenes from, from their series that they had on, on, on the Bible. And it brings you through these scenes about God's power in the Old Testament. And then it's really powerful because you see, well, I'm telling you the whole thing, but I actually have a video and hopefully it works. But I'm kind of just preparing you for, for what you are about to see. It's a very short scene. It's like, a minute and a half. I really like that introduction, right? Because it's going to start talking about the gospel of John, but I like how it brings you back to all of these stories, right? This, this word, this, this uh, Jesus, this God that he's talking about is the God of the Old Testament, is the God that was there at creation, the God that was there delivering the people from, from Egypt, is the God that, that opened the Red Sea, is the God that helped it were the, God, the God that sent the flood and that helped and saved Noah and his family. So the reason why I bring this up is because obviously this was in Paul's mind when he was talking about God's power. And my question for us is, do we believe in the power of God? Do we really believe in these stories or do we just think that they are cool bedtime stories for our kids? Do we really believe in the power of God, the God who created the world? And Paul here is saying, God is powerful. God can respond to these prayers that I just made because he is powerful. And I think for, for Paul, the clearest example or one of the clearest examples of God's power is the power that was at work when he rose Jesus from the dead. Right? He points that out in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, in the first prayer. He talks about how it was the power of God that was at work when he raised Jesus from the dead, when he seated him at the right hand of God, when he, when he put him above everything else, above every power, every dominion, every authority, everything else. God seated Jesus at his right hand and set him as ruler over all things, set him as head over all things, as head to the church. Now, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he is reigning right now? Do we really believe that Jesus has all authority? Remember before he ascended how he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so when Paul is saying, now to him who is powerful, I think he has all of those things in mind. Paul is now, or I should say God, answers to our prayers because he is powerful. And so Paul continues and he says, Now to him who is powerful, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. So he responds to our prayers. Paul knows his power and he can say with confidence, God will respond to our prayers. And so Another question for us is, or another encouragement for us is, let us be 
Let us be assured. Let us have confidence. Let us approach God with boldness, knowing that he responds to our prayers. Knowing that he is powerful enough to respond to our prayers. Knowing that when we pray for strength, right? This is one of the things that Paul prays for. He prays that he would strengthen the Ephesians. Do you feel weak? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel uh, undermined? Do you feel betrayed? Do you feel mocked, diminished, or whatever it is that you're feeling? Do you believe that God has the power to strengthen you by the Holy Spirit? The answer is, yes, he does. He has the power. Notice one of the things that God did for us. And I think when we think about this thing that God did for us, then everything else should seem like, like nothing in comparison. This is what Paul says about the work of God for us. He says, but God, in this Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 6, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Notice the connection there. He says, it was the, the power of God at work that, that raised Jesus from the dead. And now he is saying that he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that, that seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father, is the same power that has now made us alive together with Christ and has raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if he has already done that, if he has already made us alive, if he has already seated us in the heavenly places, then how much more can he not strengthen us? Give us, uh, give us comfort, give us confidence, fill us with Christ. So he responds to prayer. But now here is the amazing thing. Here is the, the incredible thing. Not only does he answer our prayers, but he goes above and beyond what we ask or think. He can do far more than we could ever imagine. He can do far more than we could ever pray. God is not limited by our short-sighted prayers. God is not limited by our small prayers. He can do absolutely more than we ask him, and he is powerful to do even more than we can even Let's do a quick exercise here. Uh, think of the wildest dream that you can have for God's kingdom. Now, let me before before we get too crazy. Let me uh, let me um, just kind of explain. Uh, I'm thinking of James when you know James asks uh, basically why why do you not why do you not receive? And it says, because you don't pray. And why do you not receive what you ask for? Because you ask for your own passions, because you ask for your own desire. So you know, with that caution in mind, I, I don't think that Paul is saying here, just ask for whatever you want. You want a Ferrari, ask for a Ferrari. You want a, a, a new home in, uh, I don't know, some really amazing place, ask for that. No, I don't think that that's what Paul is saying, right? Paul is saying that we are asking for these things according to God's will, according to God's plan, according to God's or for God's kingdom. So with that in mind now, let's do this exercise and just think about your wildest.
his kingdom here for your family, here on the harbor, um, in this country. Just think of something like the, the wildest, like the most unreachable thing. You got it? Okay, now, guess what? God can do beyond that. God can do way more than what you just imagined. God can do far above that. Kaleo family, we need to pray bigger. We need to expect bigger things from God. God can save that family member that you've been praying for for years. God can bring not just a few families on the harbor. God can bring the whole harbor to himself. That we would pray like those missionaries this, from this conference that I was telling you that instead of saying, God, please just bring one more family to our church, that we would say, God, please save everyone on the harbor. God, please let us reach out to everyone on the harbor the gospel. And, you know, to go in line with, with the context, with God's prayer, that we would pray, God, please strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. God, please fill us with Christ. God, please help us know and experience and, and, and put to practice the love of Christ. Understanding. God, please fill us with your fullness. Those Again, those seem like such hefty things to pray. But when we understand God's power to do far more than we ask or think, then all of a sudden it feels like we should absolutely pray for that because he can answer, because he can do it. Now, if this were not enough, if the fact that God can do far more than we ask or think, if that were not enough, well, guess what? This power that he has, is already at work within us. This is not a power that is foreign to us. This is not a power that is something that we haven't experienced. Paul is saying this power is already at work within us. At the end of verse 20, according to the power at work within us. Paul can confidently ask for God to strengthen the Ephesians, because God is already strengthening the Ephesians. God can confidently ask and pray for Christ to dwell in the church because Christ is already indwelling the church. Paul can confidently pray and ask for the Ephesians to experience God's love because they are already experiencing God's love. Paul can pray with confidence that, uh, that they would be filled with the fullness of God because they already have God dwelling with them. And the same is truth for us. Notice um, this comparison, how before we belong to God, it says that we were, uh, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were following uh, our flesh. We were following the world. And then notice what it says about we were following the prince of the power of the air, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So notice the contrast. When we belong, or, or when we did not belong to God, when we belong to the world, when we belong to the dominion of darkness, the spirit, 
the prince of the air, this spirit was at work in the sons of disobedience. This spirit was at work in us. But now that we are sons and daughters of God, now that we belong to God, now God's power is already at work in us. The work that God has already begun in us, he will complete it. Remember all of the things that God has told the Ephesians. He has chosen you. He has adopted you. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you from your sins. He has revealed you the mystery of the gospel. He has already given you his spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He has called you. He has brought you from death to life. He has turned you from an alien to, into a citizen of his kingdom. His power is already at work in you. Do you believe this? His power is already at work in you, in sanctifying you, in making you more like his son. Therefore, let us not question his ability to do more than we ask or think. Now, notice here that finally Paul gets to, his, to, to the point of glorifying God, to this doxology, and he says, verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I just want to say a couple of quick things about how God is glorified through the church and how God is glorified through Christ Jesus. What is the, what is the chief end of man? That's right. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what should be the chief end of the church? Same thing, right? To glorify God. We are here as a church. Well, going back, as, as, as creatures of God, our purpose, our goal in life, our, the whole reason why we exist is to glorify God. We were created to bring him glory. And now as a church, as people who have been redeemed, people who have been brought into his family, as people who have been given his Holy Spirit, now it is our purpose and now we have the ability to glorify God. But the question is, so how is God glorified through the church? Is it when we have the most popular songs or the coolest songs and we play them and sing them? Or is it when we have the, the most gifted preacher giving the, the, the coolest, best sermon ever? No. <laughs> Don't amen to that. Uh, God is glorified when we are empowered and strengthened by His Spirit. And when we, empowered and strengthened by His Spirit, when we live in obedience to Him. God is glorified when the church obeys the commands that He has given us. If you think about it, the second letter of the, the, the second half of the letter to the Ephesians is a lot of practical implications of all of the things that Paul has just said. God is glorified when the church is obeying those commands. Or to go back to Paul's prayer, God is glorified when we are strengthened through his spirit. God is glorified when Christ dwells in us richly. God is glorified when we understand and we practice God's love for one another. God is glorified when his fullness is filling the church. God is glorified when we, the church, when we understand the hope of our calling, when we understand the 
glorious inheritance, when we the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, and when we live in light of this calling. When the church lives according to the principles of Ephesians 1 and 3 and puts them to practice according to Ephesians 4 through 6, God is glorified. But it also says, it not only says God to him be glory in the church, it says in Christ Jesus. And I think this is extremely important because I believe that the church is not able to glorify God apart from Christ Jesus. There is nothing that the church can do apart from its head, right? Jesus is the head of the church. And therefore, the only way that we can actually glorify God is by abiding in Christ, by submitting to Christ, by obeying Christ. Think about this for a second. When Jesus was here on earth, he perfectly glorified his Father. He perfectly obeyed his father. He, he went to the cross in full obedience to his father. He went to the cross to do the work that the father had given him. He went to the cross to die for sinners like you and me. And thus he fully and 100% glorified the father perfectly. And so if we have any hope of glorifying the Father, it has to be through our submission to Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. If we want to glorify the Father, it has to be through the work of Jesus. And I believe that what Paul has been saying up to this point of the letter is that we have all of these things through Christ Jesus. Right? In chapter 1, we've been adopted, we've been chosen in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He keeps saying it, in Christ, we have all of these things. We were dead, but now we have been made alive with Christ. We have been raised to the heavenly places with Christ. All of these things are true in Christ. And so if we want to glorify God, we must abide in Christ. If we want to glorify God, we cannot push Christ away from the church because without Christ, the church is not the church. And so what better way to respond to this message than by glorifying God as we remember uh, Christ's love and his sacrifice on the cross for us through communion. So let's pray and we will remember the work of Jesus on the cross. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he glorified you perfectly when he was here on earth and he continues to do so. We thank you that you have placed him as head of the church and it is only through your son Jesus that we can bring you glory. God, we want to be strengthened. We want to be filled with your presence, with your son, Jesus. We want to grow in our practice and understanding of your love. We want 
not just the harbor, Lord, but we want the earth to be filled with the knowledge of your glory. And we know that for that to happen as a church, we have to be filled with the fullness of God. God, we thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. We thank you for his work of redemption, of making us yours, of forgiving our sins. Please help us to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray.